You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Thank you, Scott. And so gra- glad that Charlie and Sally are here today. We're grateful to lay eyes on the ones that we have prayed for. Uh, very faithfully, and Scott and Keisha leading us in that repeatedly. Well, good morning to all of you uh, who are here. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. If it's your first time, we extend to you a very special welcome. I want to mention, as David did, I just want to reiterate what David did, prayer and fasting on Wednesday. Um. We have been talking about the difficulty, the difficult days the church is going into. And every time I think, maybe I'm just overthinking this. I see someone like Ricky Mill this past week said, oh yeah, this is where we're heading. This is where we're heading. Um, but you know, our responsibility to share the gospel is just the same as it's always been. We may have to adjust a little bit our methods and Um, understand the times in order to present in a way that will be received. But we're going to be praying about our responsibility to share the gospel and the privilege that it is to share with others that Jesus died for us. So if you are able, fast from after the meal on Tuesday until we break the fast on Wednesday, uh, my schedule is such that I'm going to have to fast earlier in the week. If you're able to do that, uh, if you're not able to do it on Wednesday, please fast on another day uh, or maybe a couple of meals, like a couple of breakfasts or a couple of lunches, whatever. But just spend time and be praying for our church, for our gospel witness. And that if there is offense that we give to the world, it's not us. It's the message of the cross. So we don't want to be offensive, but... We know that the gospel is offensive to some. And thank you, Scott, for reminding us of how this gospel was laid out at the time and how it is laid out every day for us. I always uh, seek scripture in a fresh way when Scott shares. I'm grateful for that. Thank you so much. Well, this semester, many of our middle and high school students along with their small group leaders, have accepted the challenge that Jeff Kelly has laid out, Pastor Jeff laid out for them, to memorize the first chapter of James. What a perfect time for them to be memorizing. When you get as old as the rest of us, you're not going to be doing so well on memory work. So this is the time to do it when you are Young, And there are incentives for memorizing the one chapter and additional incentives for memorizing the entire book. Can you imagine? Several people may accomplish, uh, may, may rise to that challenge. And this is going to be a treasure for them for the rest of their lives. Even as they remember the admonition of James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. It does no good to simply memorize scripture. You have to follow scripture and the Lord of the script of the of, of, of the the Lord of uh, scripture. You have to be obeying and obedient. But even that we know doesn't come from our own strength. We can't get to God. He has to come to us if anything is going to get accomplished as it should. And even so, 
You cannot obey the word if you don't know it. And I'm thrilled that so many of our students and leaders are pursuing this worthy goal of memorizing Scripture. You you will not go far in the book of James before you realize both the blessing and the burden of the tongue. I did just a quick look. I'm pretty sure this is in every single chapter. What we say, and, and, and which also implies that what we don't say is in. Very important. Uh, How we say what we say is a challenge for us all. And James 3, especially James 3, is a beautiful, albeit challenging summary for what Scripture has to say about what we should say, what we should not say, and how we should say what we do say. I can't help it. I'm pretty proud of myself for getting through that sentence, you know. Just kidding. Well, today's text is Psalm 73. And while there are several emphases that could be legitimately pursued in this text, let me just stop right here uh, and, and say I, there's a huge emphasis in the preaching world to find the big idea in every text. But I, I, I've always felt kind of like Timothy Keller says, I... I I know that it helps a lot of people. I just don't see it that way. I mean, there's so many emphases, so many different directions you could go with most passages in Scripture, which is the expansive, beautiful, expansive nature of the Word of God. So although we could go in a lot of different directions, I've titled today's message as an admonition easily perceived in this chapter. Process privately, praise publicly. In many ways, this is a follow-up to last week's concluding message in the Gospel of John, John 21, where Peter processed and spoke for all of us when he said, what about that guy? What about him? Constantly looking at other people and comparing ourselves with them. Now, we're going to review John's Gospel next week. It'll be a short message, and then we're going to have a panel of elders to talk about what the gospel of John has come to mean to them and to our body as a whole. Psalm 73 was written by Asaph, who was the founder of one of the temple choirs during the reign of King David. Asaph would lead the temple choir during Solomon's reign, but he was appointed before the temple was built. Psalm 73 takes us to a familiar place where our hearts tempt us to ask with Peter, what about him, what about her? This just doesn't seem fair. But where the Holy Spirit cautions us about when to speak and when not to speak. For our initial reading, I'm going to read summary verses at the beginning, middle, and end of Psalm 73. Then we'll go back, work our way through won't take long to work our way through Psalm 73. Uh, and we will identify with Asaph in times when we know to, what to be true and what we see, though, just doesn't align. What we see doesn't align with what we know to be true. So it's our custom to stand for the reading of Scripture. And if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Portions of Psalm 73. Truly. God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet 
had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. If I had said, I will speak thus, if I had just spoken my mind, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my portion forever. For behold... Those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to me, to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, BC. Process privately, praise publicly. Isn't that hypocritical? Isn't that thinking one thing, doing another thing? No. It is wise. Just imagine if you had absolutely no filter. My filter is way too thin as it is. But if you had no filter and you just said everything that you thought, we're repeatedly told by the culture that we must speak our minds and let everyone know who we are. And then if by chance who we are fits the cultural narrative, we'll be celebrated. Give voice to your doubts. Free yourself from the shackles of stern and unyielding and cruel religion. That's what we're told. And such language is well and good for those who do not consider themselves accountable to God. But but wait. Scripture says that all are accountable to God whether they know it or not. It's just that some of us acknowledge our accountability to both God and His people. And some are so busy being true to themselves that they forget about this accountability to God. Today's message is for those who accept that they are accountable to God. It it is interesting that God chose poetry to help us contemplate the conundrum of the believer in a godless world. Science, of which we have heard so much lately, when you think about it, tempts us to be masters over the objects we study. It tempts us to pride. Poetry reminds us that we are subject to a reality that is greater than self. Science is one way about, science is one way that we know about reality and truth and and, and the things that are as they are. And poetry is another way of knowing about things that are bigger than science can classify and categorize. 
There is no deep mystery surrounding Asaph's poetry when he begins this psalm by acknowledging God's goodness to his covenant people, but then quickly acknowledges that in his own heart, he has allowed himself to become jealous of the prosperity of those who deny and blaspheme God. One appreciates Asaph's honesty. And we also appreciate the fact that he did not say this until he had processed it properly and understood where God fits in the equation. He doesn't claim to have been wrongly treated. He just simply says he was envious of people who do anything they want to do and prosper along the way. Even while he did the right thing and suffered for it. In verses 4 to 6, Asaph averts that the wicked have it good from start to finish, or as Allison says, from go to woe. You know, she just comes out with this stuff every now and again. I'm like, I never heard that. That's, and I love it, though. From go to woe. They have it good. No trouble for them. This, of course, if you go through life without trouble, especially if you accrue or accumulate wealth, you begin to think that your good fortunes of your own, are of your own doing. And so it is quite easy when life is going well to become arrogant, especially in our dealings with others. Asaph's pen drips with bitterness as he continues to compare his personal challenges with the seemingly unchecked domination of the wicked over the righteous. In verses 7 and 9, their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Poetic indeed. Man, Asaph had a bad, wouldn't you say? Uh, it gets worse, verses 10 to 12. Therefore... His people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Don't be so, have your head so much in the clouds that you miss what's important today. This is what really counts, this life here and now. I don't want to think about the next life. I want to think about this life. How can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. Now, if you think verse 10 is difficult in the English, you, you should read it in the Hebrew. Not, not that I have. <laughs> I have not read that specific verse. I used to know Hebrew or a teeny little bit of Hebrew, but that's long gone. I'm taking the word of scholars, though, who say this verse is scrambled. Impossible to translate because the words of the verse are just not structured in a way that makes sense. But the meaning could be, very likely is, that some of God's people, some of us who mistake wealth and power for God's blessing, look to those who oppose God for acceptance and direction. Like, they got it going on over here. I don't know what's up, but I, I agree with this. I, that makes perfect sense to me. 
man, my life is a mess, but this guy's got it all together. She, she has no trouble. She's got her mindset, and I like that. <clears throat> and these believers find no fault in the ones who openly oppose God. In fact, those who oppose God openly challenge God to stop them, their advances in society. And they succeed to the point that Asaph concludes in verse 12. They are always at ease. They increase in riches. The rich just get richer. As he ponders these inequities, he grows more frustrating Frustrated and comes to a devastating conclusion in verses 13 and 14. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. Ever felt like that? What good has my relationship with God done me? Just beaten down, discouraged, oppressed by others. It doesn't have to be this way. If I could just throw off these shackles again of religion. In other words, Asaph says it's done me no good to follow the Lord. It's verses like these that lead us to appreciate both the honesty of the writers of Scripture and also God's willingness to allow His children to complain as they do. And as I've said many times, such complaints against God are unique in the Hebrew and Christian Scriptures. Other religions dare not speak against their gods in this way, lest the gods be angry and destroy them. But as we say... God is big enough to handle our complaints. His children, though, may not be equipped to handle our complaints. So Asaph keeps his concerns to himself. Verses 15 to 17. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, It seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned therein. How different is this advice to that which we often hear given to believers? Just speak your mind. God is okay with that. Apparently, Asaph didn't agree that it's okay to just say anything you worrying about, which means that God doesn't, if Asaph didn't agree, God does not agree that we should think it acceptable (coughs) to say everything that we think and feel. Speak your mind to the Lord, yes, but do nothing to hurt your fellow believers. Even though Asaph determined not to speak openly of his doubts and frustrations, it was troublesome to him, a weariness Of the soul. See, he had this epiphany and it didn't just automatically get better. He said, Still, okay, I get it. I'm not supposed to to, to share my, my, my concerns, my complaints, but man, it's hard. 
And it stayed hard. It stayed difficult until he went in to the house of God. Where he contemplated the majesty and the wisdom of God. And discerned the temporal nature of all people in all circumstances. No matter how stable and powerful they look now. I was talking with Simi before the service this morning. Just I, coming over here, I was just thinking about this text. And it, and it struck me. Um, if we never have troubles, how can we desire... The hope of heaven. If we never have troubles. How is there proof. Of heaven. But when things are just about as bad. As you think they can possibly be. Is that not proof. That there's a better day coming. For those who are faithful. For those who continue to believe the Lord. Verses 18 to 22. This is what Asaph discovered. Truly. You have set them. Those who. Rail against God. In slippery places, you make them fall to ruin. How are they destroyed in a moment? Swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord. When you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I determined to... to, to Engage in self-compassion so that I could feel better about myself. And no, that's not what he says at all. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. In the Lord's house, Asaph received perspective. Life is never as good as it seems for some, and it is often not as bad as it seems for others. Anyone who has the hope of heaven, surely life is not as bad as it could be. God will not be mocked. And those who do not believe his promises <clears throat> will perish. Don't you, don't you know one of, one of the things that has just gotten us off track is that we lived in a land of prosperity and relative ease for so long that we, we just kind of went along with everything and not recognizing that God sees things very black and white and that the world is divided into those who love God and those who hate God. Now, over here, people are going to say, no, I don't hate God if you reject Jesus. You're on the wrong side of the line. We know on this side of the cross that God's promises of eternal life rest in the work that Jesus accomplished when he died in our place. Which, by the way, believing in Jesus is not so simple as, hey, cool, yeah, good, that's, you know, fire insurance. No, it's giving your whole life over to him, not that you're going to be perfect. We're like Asaph. We, we, we lose our way. We, we, we struggle with just our understanding of the way the world works. But our commitment is complete. If we refuse to yield, then the Bible identifies us as enemies of God who are destined for judgment. When Asaph recalled the end for believers, he was horrified. Now here 
is the interesting thing about his horror in verse 21 and 22. His horror was not so much directed toward unbelievers, but it was toward himself. Because he doubted God's goodness. His repentance was visceral. It was complete. He was especially relieved to know that while he had been distracted by the prosperity of others. And he had gotten his eyes off the Lord. God had never taken his eyes off of Asaph. And he was with him every step of the way. Verses 23 to 26. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart. And my portion forever. If you believe verse 26. Then you will have less trouble. Proclaiming verse 25. This doesn't sound like a man. Who is using religion to get to God. But it's one who recognizes his weakness. And he is grateful that while he may fail God. God will never Fail him. No wonder the Lord is again in his rightful place in Asaph's heart. So now Asaph is ready to speak. And interestingly enough, he speaks warning as well as praise. Verses 27 to 28. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. So it was a mature heart that determined not to blame God for what Asaph considered to be the inequities of life. And to keep quiet about his frustrations. It was a grateful and intentional heart. That decided to proclaim the goodness of all God's work. To all who would listen. And when he did that he knew <clears throat> who's going to hear. Who's going to hear. For sure the people of God need to hear. Which reminds us that the gospel is just as much for believers as it is for unbelievers. We need to speak the truth of the gospel to one another all the time. Asaph had something to say about his God. And he was committed to praising God publicly. There's much to learn from Asaph's struggles. But I will list three applications for us to ponder. First, learn when to speak and when to be silent. Do you sometimes function according to um, a philosophy of, you know, if I think it, then somebody ought to hear it. I just need to say it to somebody. Sometimes I think that I have all the discipline of tongue as that of Gimli, son of Gloin. It's false to say that you're only true to yourself if you speak your mind. 
When did we accept the notion that our first responsibility is to be true to ourselves anyway? Shakespeare, maybe? We need to be true to God even when we have doubts, which most of us inevitably do at times. It comes from various different ways. There's so many ways that doubts creep into our mind. But even when they do, we must be, be faithful to God. Hold your tongue until you are ready to proclaim God's faithfulness to you despite yourself. You will be ready sooner if you follow the second point. Keep yourself within distance of God's word so that you will retain a godly perspective. We need each other. Aren't you grateful that the Lord designed for his people to function in community, especially when there is extreme pressure on those who believe, live, and proclaim the truth of God's word. At those times, especially, we need to be close to scripture in whatever ways we can, reading every day, talking with one another, and especially being faithful to go into the house of the Lord with his people. Last, ask God frequently to give you a heart that seeks after him like you seek after no other. Do you think that a heart for God comes naturally to us? No, a heart for self comes naturally. Heart for good times. Heart for success and prosperity. But a heart from God does not come naturally. Asaph had the same important position as David Calvert has here. He was a musician and a poet, a singer-songwriter. It's like David is. Even so, Asaph was distracted by the worldly success of others. Oh, how we need to continually ask God for a heart that seeks After him, Lord, I know my heart. It's deceitful. It's easily distracted. It it, 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 it takes. But go into the house of the Lord. I wonder if Asaph was Peter's inspiration when Jesus asked the disciples if they would leave him just like everybody else was leaving him. And Peter responded, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. Amen and amen. So let's close in prayer. And we're going to do so by reading Asaph's conclusion to the matter. Would you please stand? We'll read this together. In fact, let's try it. Let's give it a shot where we do it in unison. And then remain standing for the benediction. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Amen. Don't you see the beauty of poetry? We can quote it together. Scott Shamble. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.